0: Tech Marketers Group was formed to connect, engage, and inform the marketers in New Zealand working for tech, SaaS, professional services, uh, and in high-tech marketing roles through operations and and automation, CRM, uh, and digital marketing. And we are super excited that you could join us today for this episode of the New Zealand Tech Marketers podcast series. And please enjoy this interview with Bindi Griffin, who will tell you about her story From social media manager in Queenstown, to running the marketing function for Startup Journey, and then leading the marketing team's growth at Lawview, one of New Zealand's fastest growing startups. I started off by asking Bindi, what was the biggest lesson that she's learnt on her journey of being a tech marketer?
1: You need to understand the product, you need to understand your customer, and that's regardless of whether you're... B2C or B2B, B, and you need to understand, you know, revenue and pricing and all that kind of stuff, so um, I really liked that part of it, you really need to deep dive into the business before you can do anything, um, and so I actually started out, my first marketing role was in tourism, I worked um, for a ski field, Mount Hutt, and I did um, photography and social media, and um, so that was really cool, and kind of learned a lot of content creation stuff on the fly and, and was actually kind of self-teaching myself a bunch of digital marketing stuff at the same time because I quickly realized that I wanted to learn way more than just the social side of it um, but at that point was managing an account that had like 30,000 plus followers so it was kind mm-hmm. of thrown into the deep end of well New Zealand standards of an account that it really did have quick um, you, know, you put something out and you are very quickly going to see them back. <laughs> what comes back from that. Um, that was super interesting we stayed in tourism for for a wee while um and then I flicked over to tech software and was at a company called journey jrny for about three years I was their second employee ever um and we actually look there's so many learnings. so I'll probably end up spending most of the time on that and feel free to Jump in it at, at any point. I can hover on one little issue for as long as you want. Um. <laughs> that,
0: that was kind of where we, where I felt like I first met you was through Journey and perhaps yeah. Singapore FinTech Festival or something like that.
1: Yeah, that would yeah. be right. Yeah. Um, so we actually started out uh, called Bot the Builder, and it was a chatbot company. Um, I came on board as the only marketer, and as you would, two two staff, you're not know, going to have multiple uh, marketers. with only two staff. Um, <laughs> one was an engineer, and one was a marketer. I guess the theory was one to build and one to to get it out there. So <laughs> <And, laughs> <laughs> yeah, took a bit more than that. They like quickly learned. Um, but they they we had lots of different forms at company. So as I as I said, we started as a chatbot company, or called bot the builder. Well, I came on board in the first week, we were changing brands. So we weren't going to be called, Pop uh, the builder, we were going to be called Journey. And we had to create a whole new brand from scratch, which is always a super exciting um, exercise. <laughs> and in software, it's actually quite product related. A lot of it hinges around product market fit and your value prop, um, but also how you want to uh, express yourself. We focus mostly on the branding side, which with the benefit of you know, years of hindsight now, we should have focused really on nailing that product market fit and value prop before we even sunk any investment into, into the branding. Um, and that was actually a theme that really pulled us through for most of the time in that business was that sales and marketing always led the product. Um, and marketing signal doesn't necessarily mean market signal. Um, which is you, you kind of always feel like especially in startups that marketing can kind of step forward before you're actually ready you know we can say this is coming soon or this is what will be and by the time we make a sale well actually the product will be ready um, but if you are constantly doing that or if you're in that state for too long it's sometimes a sign that product market fit might not actually be there um so, so anyway, we kind of started that brand from scratch and, and actually um, the brand did did pretty well. We entered into uh, Australia and um, in Asia and we had some really uh, big branded customers. Um, and that was actually another thing that we learned is that getting in the room with the, the biggest enterprises is not also, also isn't necessarily the signal that you want. Um, especially with a situation like we have at the moment with with COVID, you know, if you have too many large enterprise businesses and that doesn't line up with your actual business strategy, it just takes one or two of those to fall off the books and you've got huge churn. Um, And so that was another big learning. um, All the eggs in one basket. Exactly. And that's essentially what happened at the end of the day with Journey. So we ended up actually closing down um, maybe a year ago, a year and a half ago. And the the IP and the brand actually got purchased by a company um, called Javelin, so it does actually live on the brand uh, in, in some form or another, which is which is quite interesting. Um, in terms of actual marketing strategies, though, there and and what we found really did get us um, quite a good brand presence was content. We had really really small budgets, um, so you know it's it's that whole marketing on a shoestring thing and. You probably heard about inbound content strategy that was really huge for us um, and leveraging thought leaders in the industry to help contribute to that content um, so it was still free um, but it just meant that anything we published had a little bit more um, coverage than we would just get on our own channels so for example one one example of that was an interview series we did with a, um, a man called Glenn Renwick, he who was, he, he was the CEO of a huge insurance corporation in the US. And so anything he said instantly had clout. And the fact that we were on an interview with him kind of made Look Journey like a really trusted brand. So we really got the most out of that piece of content. Um, and that was something else I learned, again, on a shoestring is that every piece of content you create, you need to spin it in 10 different ways to make it stretch as far as you can, because um, it's still relevant. It doesn't mean if it's a year later or it's a, just a shorter version of the video. So that was the one one core marketing strategy there was, was inbound content. Um, the other one was leveraging conferences and speaking slots. So the small budget we did have would end up essentially going to select um, conferences. I was lucky enough to have a CEO who believed in marketing thought like a marketer great speaker his persona was part of the brand and that honestly just makes your life as a marketer so much easier If you've got a a sales or marketing based CEO who just gets it can get in front of a camera you know if you if you have someone like that make the most of it correct me if I'm wrong um you know if it's people that are already familiar with with the solution you've got and you're kind of more delving into the like how it can help you in your situation type messaging um, the other great thing about having someone speak in an interview series is it's kind of a soft touch sales chat uh, you know if you reached out to that person who they might be a thought leader but they also could be an opportunity um or a, or a deal um, but if you just cold reach to them they might not ever get in the room with you whereas if you call them a thought leader and hey we'd love to get you on our platform to talk you know make you look like a thought leader uh, you can still introduce them to the brand and build rapport with them kind of in that subtle subtle way so uh, it's kind of dual purpose. So
0: you uh, mentioned when you started with Journey that within the first couple of weeks you uh, were a part of a rebrand project. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how did you decide uh, what elements of the brand to keep or change or develop new?
1: Yeah it's a great point. Um, I've done a couple of different rebrands. The one Um, that I mentioned around with Journey was quite a drastic rebrand and and it was actually instigated by the founder so I had quite a lot of um, help in terms of I didn't have to kind of there's no resistance I had to overcome around change there Um, but I have had the opposite experience and so I think Starting with your, I don't know if you've got founders or um, or just a boss or someone who's been there a long time and, and kind of is the DNA of mm-hmm. the business. Not every company has them obviously get to a certain size and that's not necessarily there. But if you do have that, tap into the DNA of the business. And sometimes it is a found a couple of founders who, you know, their vision and mission is still alive and, and that's what is at the core of everything they do. Um, but then also the customers. Um Often it, it might be that you know the, the founder vision is is just bang on for the market and that equals exactly what your your customer needs and it matches the value prop and, and how you're different and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes what the founders really want to hang on to is actually not what the market wants or needs and is not serving you anymore. So that's always a, a balancing act. Um, and that if you've got that situation, um then it's essentially a change management process. <laughs> and you kind of you know, tease back and forth what you can to, to push it where it needs to be and you might not get the, the whole nine yards, but once they see um, that customers love it and that you're getting um, good feedback anecdotally, they'll feel more comfortable and you might get then be able to push it the rest of the, the way, you know, at a later date. So don't be disheartened if, if you do get pushback on, on that respect. But yeah, um, it has to be true and it has to reflect um products and and what resonates with customers and and don't be afraid to talk to customers i think um, and in terms of the the creative side of it um, obviously you need to if you've got internal capacities that's great but if you're using an external agency someone you trust um, perhaps they've done some work for you before or they come really well recommended someone who is happy to have robust back and forth um, and and really understands the business like like you do Mm. will go such a long way I'll segue into the the current company that I'm at because it's kind of it's still a startup but it's probably more of a growth company um and so some of the things that I kind of never got to do at Journey because of size or budget or whatever then now kind of got um bit of leeway to to start sprinting and which is a totally different ball game and has its own challenges um itself so uh came on there it was actually only a year ago uh, but it feels like 10 years (laughs) and um they were at 34 staff and now we're at 100 a year later um i was hired as a product marketer um kind of weirdly because we also had someone building community and then someone building uh, who did technical marketing was essentially implementing Salesforce. Um, and so quite quickly I was like, well, who's doing the rest of marketing? <laughs> who's got the strategy and who's doing PR and like paid ads across all the channels and social and content and events and like, you know, everything. Um, and they're like, Oh, um, okay. So do you just want to build a team out? Uh, So I was like, cool, that was something I never got to do at Journey. So, yep, awesome. I've been a generalist marketer, so I kind of probably have never done anything particularly well, but have always had to do everything in some degree um, with help, of course. And so now we've got a um, built this team that I have now out to about eight. And then it's even grown since then. So we have my team, we have a community team, we have a product marketing team, and now we've got a new CMO who sits on top of us and we all three marketing functions report up to to him. He has come from uh, LinkedIn in North America. Um, So that's awesome. He's only been here about a month, but I think long-term, that's great learning opportunities for any, any Kiwi marketers who haven't been in a big organization like that themselves. So that's pretty exciting, um, but now we have I have quite a different um, strategy. I guess we still do a lot of thought leadership and events and stuff, but we're very focused on two main things essentially: creating category, um, because we are in a unique situation. Um, I haven't even touched on the product side. It's a it's software for in-house legal counsel so it's it's legal software essentially and um there is a gap in our market and so what we want to do is just educate them we want to stamp ownership on on that at the highest level Um, i don't know if you've ever read much into category but i've got a great book here that i highly recommend if you haven't read it i'll just show you have you seen this one
0: play bigger amazon.com
1: very good (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah so that's been quite helpful <laughs> um, but essentially so we have um when I first came on we had this product that um had lots of modules and it's a unique product in that uh each module has its own market essentially so what they call like contract management they call it matter management and there's a different thing and a different thing and each of them are markets in their own right um but we just happen to do it all uh, and so we essentially just had this shopping list of things we did, but we, there was no overarching value proposition to or, or name for that kind of product. Like the what's the saying? It's the um, sum of the parts of wait. The value Greater of the whole these. is larger than the sum of the parts. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that one. Um, and essentially, that is the value proposition. Like there's value in having everything in one place, connected, built designed together. So we came up with this, word, this wording called a legal workspace. And so um, our core strategy for, for next year and, and at the moment is um, to create and own that category. And out of that falls a whole bunch of, of content and education across all of the channels. Um, so that's sort of top of the funnel core strategy. Um, further through, uh, essentially just hitting our numbers. Like we have really aggressive revenue um, targets. We're on track this year to double revenue again. Uh, and then next year, it's even more, right? So um, we've got really big goals for uh, marketing qualified lead NQL targets. And so how to scale the team um, to get there, which one of the core strategies I touched on earlier, but now I can use is account-based marketing um and so it's different for every market um depending I always think of it as like depending where you are on the scale of like out of the box to enterprise out of the box you know you've kind of got a cheaper product you just log in and away you go whereas enterprise is like probably two year sales cycle you know you could have hundreds of thousands of dollars of product um and so, we're, and so you'd have fewer accounts, right, on that high enterprise scale. Out of the box, you probably wouldn't necessarily do account-based marketing. Enterprise, you would, because you might have 10 core accounts that you are trying to, that's all you have. Whereas Lawview is somewhere in the middle. Um, and so account-based marketing looks kind of different there than it might somewhere else on the, the spectrum, I guess. For us, we figured out that um, it, it looks like, uh, we split by geography and industry, um, not because the product is any different actually in those cases, but they perceive a difference. Um, and so we, we target um, companies within those geographies and industries that fit our ICP, which is our ideal customer persona or profile. You know, they're, they're within that revenue uh, filter, which for us is like a mid-market type company, um, their legal team is this, this particular size. Um, and the reason we've chosen industries is because they are legally complex. So for example, insurance is one. We assume they need legal software because they have a really complex industry. We have some of those customers already. So we're fairly confident that there's a good match. And so instead of just doing all of our ad spend, pray and spray out to the world, we, um, I mean, we do have some of those type ads going, um, but the bulk of our kind of ad spend is focused around those core core parts with, a, with intent, and then we tailor the content to actually suit those people, and um, so that's proved pretty successful. Um, I also think if it is successful, it's a good gauge that you do have, like, brand fit and product fit in that market. If people are engaging at that targeted level is quite a good signal. Um, for us, we have um, because we're somewhere in the middle of that spectrum of out of the box and enterprise, um, the lead time isn't 24 hours <laughs> or, or an hour. It's it's probably six months. Um, and so we could be hitting our NQL targets right now, but that has to transform into revenue, you know, in six months. So that's that's always a challenge is, whether actually our targets are going to meet, get us to the end goal. Um, there are a few other kind of targets that, uh, sorry, challenges that have come along the way there. Obviously, the scale side, but we do have more budget, but it's still not infinite. We use Salesforce and Pardot as our CRM and, and marketing software. I don't know if you've ever used those before. I'm a huge HubSpot fan girl personally, so it's not my choice, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we're we're in the Salesforce world, um, eh, but we we can introduce a few efficiency gains um, so that we're not just relying on paid channels for our lead generation, um, so implementing like lead scoring, for example, which is a pretty, probably, I don't know if you've heard of lead scoring, um, but you know, they might not have through a paid channel but if they're clicking around on the website and they've downloaded this, they've looked at five blogs. we can give them a score along each of those touch points, then they turn into an MQL. So it's essentially an organic unpaid channel um, that's generating MQL. So little things like that hopefully will just improve our efficiencies and reduce our cost per MQL overall um, and kind of nudge us up towards that goal without having to necessarily spend more.
0: How have you defined what an MQL is?
1: Great question. Yeah, it's kind of not so black and white. It's interesting. Um, So for us an MQL, a couple of things. One is gone to the website and booked a demo. That's kind of a, a good, easy one. We have no filter over who they are, where they came from. Anyone in the world could come to the website, book a demo or submit that form they become an MQL and they fire off immediately to someone in the sales team. The other ones are a little less clear-cut. Um, so we have, we have those account-based marketing campaigns. If someone downloads a white paper from that, we call them an MQL because they're so hyper-targeted. We've already identified that they're good, they, they tick the box in terms of an ideal person to talk to they're digesting content so those two things combined we see it as worth sales contacting them so it's an MQL um, however where it's kind of confusing is like the same white paper someone could download from the website and we call it a lead we don't call it an MQL um, because we don't know who they are they just they could be could be me it could be could be anybody downloading that same white paper because we don't have the qualification on who they are, we've just called them a lead for now and we'll send them to a, a nurture email track um, and try bump them up to an MQL. But for those account-based ones where we, they might, they're, they're engaging with marketing content, but we also have some filter on the quality of the lead. They fit our ideal customer profile. We think it's worth sales reaching out. But it is worth mentioning we have an SDR function. Um, so we have... Within the wider sales team, we have a group of people who are essentially there to, it's kind of brutal to say, but cold call, right? They, they, will re- they are outreaching um, in their own right. So we have the internal capability to reach out to an MQL before um, we can send maybe a cooler MQL than another company might. If you know what
0: what do you do? to retrospectively look at the history of that account through your marketing funnel to optimize Mm. what you're doing or to um, start building intelligence in terms of weighting your MQLs to build out your conversion predictability or- That
1: is super helpful actually. And and, and you'll get insights from that that even the data won't show you. Um, Just the conversations that the sales team have had with the, the key decision makers in those meetings, in the demo call, the nuances, like things like, oh, they were talking about a competitor, but then they said, we actually did this better. You know the data is not going to say that necessarily, unless you have really great sales team that's going to write that all in the <laughs> in the notes, but um, <laughs> it doesn't always happen. So I definitely recommend the data and do a retro, whether that's like quarterly and you go through a whole bunch of, um, deals that are closed, or you do it deal by deal. And sometimes I know it's painful, but if it's fresh in their mind, it's actually kind of good to jump on it as soon as you can. Um, Once anything, you lost. If, if you give them a wide brief, yeah, and the ones actually, yeah, and the ones you lost, it's probably the, the, <laughs> the biggest insights.
0: So you mentioned when you started at Lawview, you needed to build out a team. How did you prioritise what skills to hire for, what capability you need? Uh, In what order did you hire those people to to build the team that you have today?
1: Great question, isn't it? Um, So we um, started out looking for two roles to start with. One was social and um, content, like short film content. And then the other was a campaign manager, which is essentially a digital marketer that um, owned all of our paid channels. So that was including paid social. Um, so all your Google, um, all of our third-party publishers, um, LinkedIn, because that's a, a key one for us, LinkedIn ads. Um, so th- so we hired those two first. Um, bear in mind, I also already had a, um, a, a creative um, that I kind of inherited from within the org, was kind of product and then came over to the team. So we already had someone who could do graphic design, he's also a jack of all trades so he can do website Um, so we already had that going Um, then who was it we hired a writer so we've got our own writer um, which is great for for blogs and white papers so I kind of think of that as long form content Uh, we actually created a function I thought I made it up. I thought I was being very clever, but I've actually since figured out that like HubSpot and other companies already have this function. So I wasn't so clever after all. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I thought I'd made up a function called customer marketing. Um, it it's definitely already exists. But essentially, um, we ended up hiring Hannah as our customer marketer and she isn't marketing to customers. So it's not an upsell expansion role. She's using customers as a channel in their own right. So um, you think about your customer, you know, we have thousands of users that are in law view. They each have a following on LinkedIn um, and within them, some will be keen to be thought leaders. Um, and so we leverage her role is essentially to focus on getting them to talk getting on customers to talk to their networks through um, events so events kind of tie into her role because um, we'll pay for a speaking slot she gets a customer on there um, webinars because she's getting customers to go on our webinars and tell their lobby story um, you know posting on their social media and then reaching their network um, and what kind of was a clue to me that that was really important was that um, the customer referral is a really strong lead source for us, and it's also a shorter lead time. Mm. So the more we can get them talking, um, the better, essentially. So that's been called, and she's absorbed into that, like customer stories, um, testimonials, getting, um, she's creating a ways of working video series where um, essentially they talk about the ways they're working with Lawview, um, in one of her core KPIs is owning the category. So if we can use legal workspace terminology coming from the words of our customer, it's gonna be so much more powerful to create category than just if we're harping on about it from LawView. Um, so that's actually a function in its own right, just focusing on customer content really, pushing it out through their channels. Um, the other ones, then we have, um, Another graphic designer, got another graphic designer, um, another videographer, which has been great for capturing like on the ground stuff, they're, they're in, Tauranga, in our head office. And so um, that really helps boost the content that's not necessarily, the kind of the ad hoc pieces, you know, like let's get someone in the podcast room really quickly, that topic just came up, jump in, I'll, I'll record you, um, or there's a meetup down the road Um, and someone from the business is going to be there. Run down there and film that. So that's been really great. Um, And something we actually need to use a whole lot more. How many is that? It's hard to keep (laughs) track. I think it's most of them. We have a community team on the side. So that's that's quite separate because it's so far top of the funnel and it's quite a different mindset. It's a sub brand. Um, It has to be so authentic and organic. It's a different team. So, it, but it's an important part of the strategy for for Lawview is for us to inspire and transform a whole profession. There needs to be um, a really organic kind of component to that, which is, will give us longevity. Um, so, yeah, that's something else. That kind and Sean Simpson's working doing, with you
0: on that community project, right. eh?
1: Hey? Yeah, she leads it. Yeah,
0: She's a rock star. She's fantastic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Bundy, thank you so much
0: for joining us today. Uh, it's been super interesting. Lots of really great questions. I hope you have all, you have all learned a lot during the session. Was that Feel free super to share
1: my email if you want and you can reach out or yep. find me on LinkedIn.
0: Find you on LinkedIn, or if you'd like a little email intro, then um, just ping me and I'll, uh, I'll connect you up with, with Bundy, okay? Uh, Thank you for joining us, I really appreciate it.